Hello and welcome to the Spirit World Center. The following is the Spirit World Center podcast. If you have any questions about the spirits or training, you can visit our website at spiritworldcenter.com. And now, please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Spirit World Center. Today, I'm joined by Amber Renee. Amber is a Reiki healer and teacher, a licensed massage therapist, an oracle, and a cosmic guide. And she is here to talk about her practice, her shamanic journeys, and other paranormal experiences that have come into her life. Amber, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's our pleasure. Um, so Amber, what can you tell us about yourself and your spiritual path and and how you help people? So um, I came to do the work I'm doing now. It was a winding road that actually began immediately after I graduated from high school. I went to cosmetology school and became an esthetician and a nail tech. And I did that for about six years. Um, but it was very clear that I was meant to be healing people because people would come to me for facials and nails because they felt calmed by my presence. And I had a really like naturally good touch for massage. So that's what led me to become a licensed massage therapist eventually after six years or so of doing that work. And then it was during my massage training that I was introduced to Reiki, but it took me a long time to actually go through Reiki training. So I spent, um, uh, it was probably like eight years or so of working as a licensed massage therapist before I started into my Reiki training and my shamanic journey training. Um, and I've always had a deep interest in the spirit world or, um, the unseen and the great mystery of life, all of those things have really fascinated me for my whole life. So it was pretty easy for me to open up to the subtle world and that whole aspect of like energy healing and, um, and yeah. Fantastic. And I'm guessing that when you started trying Reiki, it just clicked, right? Absolutely. It was after the very first day of working with my teacher, it was just this complete expansion of my worldview, my understanding of life. Uh, it was it was like a very clear before and after Reiki kind of a feeling. And it, immediately Reiki, I always would say that Reiki was stalking me after that day. Because all of a sudden, everywhere I went, it would I would hear somebody talking about it, you know, in my periphery, or uh, I was encountering strangers who would just bring it up to me, or um, just, just, yeah, just having a lot of those synchronistic experiences with it right away. And all, anytime I would start thinking about it, my hands would just start vibrating and tingling. And it was just... I was having visions when I was working on people practicing and stuff before I even understood what that really meant, like seeing their body parts, you know, like their organs and stuff in my mind and um, hearing information coming from spirit that I wouldn't know otherwise. So it was, it was very exciting at first and it still is. I mean, it's been seven or eight, seven years since I first started practicing Reiki and it still blows my mind every day. Wow. Just an explosion of, of psychic and Reiki into your yes. life. Which is, and that's interesting that you are, have this experience of seeing the organs, seeing what, and so I suppose you're seeing what might be wrong in that situation. Exactly. Yeah. The very first time I can remember that happening was I was practicing on uh, an acquaintance, I wouldn't even call her a friend, just somebody that I didn't know very well. And I kept seeing her heart with one of the, um, the chambers collapsed. I, so it was like showing itself to me in three chambers. And I told that to her afterward. And she was like, Oh, yeah, I was born with this birth defect. And I, you know, one of them doesn't work. And 
So it was, and that's actually um, part of how I teach Reiki now. I'm working right now on developing a new method of teaching Reiki that's more body-centered around um, just understanding basic anatomy and integrating medical intuition techniques and psychic techniques and shamanic tools to help move trauma out of the body and um, understand those kind of mechanisms, how the body, the physical body is a mirror of what's going on spiritually and vice versa. Fantastic. And where is your practice based? It's based in Chicago. So I do um, in-person work at my studio in Chicago. And of course, I also do virtual work. So I'll do distance Reiki with people over Zoom from anywhere in the world. Great. And you were saying that when you started Reiki, almost at the same time, you started also with a shamanic journey and learning from a shamanic teacher, entering into some really powerful shamanic journeys. Yes. I, I was kind of nudged. This is how a lot of stuff ha happens for me since I started doing this work is like some random person will come in and be like, Hey, have you ever thought about doing this? You know? And that was kind of how I got into the shamanic work. And um, so it was around the same time that I was first learning Reiki. I also met a shaman who I started taking classes with to learn how to do shamanic journeying. And um, that was where I first started having sober hallucinations, those kind of hallucinatory experiences and, and actually meeting guides in visions and having very clear, profound information channeled to me during those journeys that, you know, in, in the moment when I was having the vision, a lot of the information almost seemed kind of like gibberish or like it didn't make sense. And I would go afterward and Google stuff and find out it was real places or real names that um, were unfamiliar to me beforehand. So I always love it when that happens, where especially you get a name and it turns out, wow, this is actually a name in this language here, in this yeah. ancient language from here. And it really is incredible because it's like, whoa, I definitely didn't know that language. And, yeah. and often the word itself has some meaning in that language that like it really applies to what that being is, you know, something like, yes. oh, it's light or something, you know, mm -hmm. um, it really is a wonderful process there. Yeah. Um, and it really just completely cuts through any self-doubt or questioning that you might have going into it because it's like, well, there's no denying that something beyond the physical world is and that has intelligence, you know, is actually communicating with me right now and giving me information. And it can be a little disorienting at first, for sure. I definitely went through a good year, at least, where I was kind of feeling very overwhelmed by everything. And it was just, it was causing a lot of upheaval in my life because it was doing, you know, the, the energy that was coming in through the Reiki and the shamanic journeying was helping, uh, relationships that weren't serving me to kind of dissolve away and living situations to change. And yeah, a lot of that stuff. And even though I'm now several years into doing this work, I still spiral back to those patterns you know, it still is continuously happening. So that's another thing I tell my students and my clients all the time is that once you start on these paths of deep healing and deep exploration beyond the physical world, you're, you're it's a spiral dance that you never really stop engaging in. And so there's, it's the um, philosophy that, you really should be focusing on the journey itself and not on the end goal or destination is 
one of the greatest teachings to take away from all of this, that it's, it's better to just be present with where you are and what you're doing and not try to conceptualize it all that you're like, you're going to be healed and you're going to find an end to all of this because you're meant to be in a dance with it all. That is part of the profound uh, mystery of it really. Absolutely. The healing never really ends. It just, Mm -hmm. every day gets better than the last because you're more healed than yesterday. Yep. But it's this slow upward spiral, as you say, it's cyclical. You fix something, you figure something out, you know, some chaos is injected into your life. You overcome it. You learn something about yourself. You heal all this. And then you reach this new plateau and then you go along it and it might be a day, it might be a week, it might be a year, but then something else happens and you once again have this healing, you know, you have the catalyst for healing and then you take that next step. And as you're saying, that healing can be a little painful. I mean, it sounds like when you first started getting into Reiki and started getting into shamanism, I mean, yeah, you're opening up two huge conduits for spiritual energy and spiritual change to come into your life. Yeah. And it sounds like it was very disruptive and that can be quite painful, right? Oh yeah. It was very disruptive and very painful the first time around. But the beautiful thing about it is that every time you kind of cycle back to another healing journey, you take with you all the wisdom that you gained the last time you went through it. And so you become more and more curious, I find. You you become more and more curious. It's much less disruptive and painful each time you go through it. And it's more kind of exciting. And I feel like part of the deep uh, reasoning behind it all is to help us learn how to surrender to the great mystery and trust the unseen in, in a way that helps us release the resistance and the impact of trauma that we might be more inclined to take on when we're less trusting and and less surrendered so absolutely the best thing you can decide is to just trust that it is all going to turn out okay right Mm -hmm. that there is a plan to it that your guides are with you and they are guiding you each step of the way yes you don't have to force it you don't have to overthink it and take you know, all these elaborate actions, like, no, 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 just keep to the core practice and trust it's going to happen. Right. Yeah. And that's another thing about all of this practice, this, like when you get into Reiki and you start really getting curious and exploring your own energy and your story and all of that is that you realize you're never doing any of it alone. I think in our modern world, especially with the, you know, the um, mentality of individualism, we, we can find ourselves as humans on earth in this point in the timeline, feeling very lonely, very alone in our experiences. And this work just plugs you in, not only to guides and teachers in the spirit world, but also to your own higher self, your multidimensional self who exists beyond the body. There's a lot more to what we identify as ourselves. There's a lot more to that than just this physical body in this one lifetime. And being able to tune into what the higher self, I think of it as just like the the most authentic expression of this personality that we hold for ourselves, Um, being able to tune into that and working with the essence of animal spirit guides and teachers on the other side and uh, even uh, spirits from your family lineage and all of that. It's, it is really helpful to be able to just tune into that in moments of turmoil or trauma 
or a deep healing to remember that you're not alone and um, be able to kind of be in conversation with those elements. Absolutely. Yes. One is never alone on this path. And, mm -hmm. and that is, of course, a very good reason also to mix shamanism with Reiki, right? Because yes. you can pull in so many guides to help you out. Yes. I mean, frankly, guides tend to show up by themselves just when someone's just doing Reiki, but right. <laughs> shamanism is a way to pull even more guides in for sure. Mm -hmm. Do you have any guides that tend to show up when you're doing Reiki? Healing. Oh, yes. I have um, like a specific Reiki guide that I work with all the time and a specific animal guide that I work with all the time. And then there's other guides that will come in that are more like for specific people that I'm working with or specific um, energies that I'm working on. So different. I, I tend to work a lot with animals that even before I started doing shamanic work, the animals were always the thing for me. And of course, I grew up in a household where we always had multiple pets and stuff. So I'm very connected to the animal world. So animal essence comes through for me in many different ways. And um, different um, family members who have passed, I have like a great grandma who comes in and helps a lot. So yeah, there's, and like you said, especially when you start getting into shamanic work, you realize that there's, there's just as many guides and teachers and species of spirit and races of spirit as there are on earth. There's just an seemingly endless array of intelligent life force in that are outside of the physical realm that are ready and willing and excited to be of service and of support to the physical human world in this way. Absolutely. And when you feel a guide coming through in a Reiki healing, how do you feel them? Like, how do you know that they're there? How For that me, it's usually a flash of a vision behind my eyes. I would say my most my strongest psychic senses are vision and um, audio, audio. So I, I will hear. And when I say hear, it's more just like, you know, if you're maybe imagining a conversation in your mind and you can like hear yourself talking or you can hear the other person talking, it's kind of like that. Um, but I'll have phrases or words come through. But yeah, usually when a guide comes in, the way I know that they're there is a flash of a vision, like a picture of them. And that's usually paired with like a chill going up my spine. Like I'll kind of feel that tingling going through my body as well. And do you ever feel that they guide you in how you're performing the Reiki, like oh, to change how you're, what you're doing because of the, their presence. Yes, absolutely. And when I'm, when I am facilitating a Reiki session for somebody, I, I actually, I always say this when I'm describing what I'm going to do to my client, I'm not, not actually doing anything. I'm channeling the life force energy and creating a sacred space for the energy to do what it's going to do like reiki life force energy is an intelligent energy just on its own and so it comes in and interacts with the client's energy body and that's what i'm witnessing so that's how i have information and homework type of stuff to relay to my clients afterward is because i'm just witnessing what the reiki energy is doing what the guides are doing and I do ask questions while I'm in facilitating a Reiki session and in that energy. If the client has a specific issue that they want to work on, once I notice that the energy is starting to do its work and the guides have come in, then I'll ask them questions and receive information that usually comes through as homework type of stuff. So a lot of times it'll just be like simple little um, rituals or exercises that the client can integrate into their daily life 
or books to read or, you know, simple little practices. They, they almost always keep it very simple unless I'm working with someone who's really advanced in spiritual healing. Um, but yeah, and, uh, they definitely guide the session. And if there's any type of more advanced work that wants to be done, such as cord cutting or um, soul retrieval or anything like that, the guides really do all the work. And I'm just there holding the, creating the bridge basically for them to be able to do that. Fantastic. Yeah. And in a Reiki scenario like that, how would you go about uh, doing cord cutting? The way I do cord cutting is I engage in conversation and notice what visions are coming up for me. Um, and I just go where I'm drawn. So because I practice this more body-centered awareness type of Reiki, um, I usually just notice what area of their body is drawing me the strongest. And I'll ask, sometimes I'll ask, is there a cord cutting to be done? Sometimes I'll just be shown the cord without asking. And the basic protocol for it is that I'll call in guides and teachers that are related to the client I'm working on, um, that are benevolent, benevolent and willing to help the client release this energy that any, any part of the cord that's no longer serving them. So it's always really interesting. Sometimes if the cord is attached to say like a parent or a family member or a loved one, they won't actually cut the cord. They'll clean it. Um, and if it is something that needs to be released, like a lot of times, if it's related to an ex lover or, um, somebody in their life, that's no longer that they're no longer interacting with, what will happen is the guides will show me a tool. So sometimes it'll be like a crystal or a sword or a, a knife of some kind. And I will see them like dig it out of the body part that it seems to be attached to. And then they'll, they'll come in and fill the void that was created after they, they dug the cord out. Um, and that's another point where, I'll, where I will ask like, what material would be best to fill this void for the client. So the most common things are, again, like crystals, a specific type of crystal will come in to fill the void or um, like soil, like very rich soil. I, I see that happen a lot and they will fill the void. And then sometimes they will go, I'll be then taken to whoever's on the other end of the cord and I will see the guides or the Reiki interacting with them, letting them know that they can let go of their end of the cord. Sometimes they will even like the guides will even kind of take the essence of that person and bring them to the light, you know, and kind of help them transition out of their attachment to the person I'm working on. So that's kind of the basics of how it usually goes. I like that, how it is occurring at both ends in, yes. that, in what you're doing, as opposed mm -hmm. to just the emphasis on cutting the cord. There's actual yes. healing going on at both ends, which mm -hmm. I find is incredibly important for a successful cord cutting. Absolutely. And it's always very fascinating to see how the person on the other end reacts, because sometimes they're like, they get mad. I see them like getting angry or they like, they don't want to let go of their end of the cord. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they just drop it and they're like, Oh my God, I didn't realize that this was happening. And they apologize and they move away really fast. And however that seems to go, when I relay that information back to my clients after we're done, um, even just hearing how the other person on the other end of the cord was reacting is healing for the person I'm working on and helps them to let go even more. And it just helps the attachment dissolve even, even more. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, there could be a cord that is set because someone is incredibly controlling, let's say. And yeah. so, I mean, that might not be dropped as easy as someone who let's say it was like a one night stand that created 
a chord and that's like, whoa, I didn't know I even had a chord there. Okay. Yep. <laughs> right. And it's really fun too, because the guides, I, I find working with guides on the other side, it is not all love and light. And that's another thing I teach all the time is that if they're dealing with a person on the other end of the cord who is very controlling or who was abusive or whatever it is, they will get hot, you know, and like sometimes they'll come in and I'll see them burning up the cord or like chopping it into bits or a whole army of guides will come with swords and like uh, almost, I don't want to use the word assault, but it is kind of like that where they'll go in angry almost and like ready to kind of act as spiritual warriors to defeat the controlling or abusive energy that's coming through from the other end. So that's always kind of interesting. Absolutely. And I mean, something I've found in shamanic journeys is that guides are very inventive about destroying negativity and also the ego. I Mm -hmm. mean, things like spiritual death where you go into a journey and they destroy your present ego just to rebuild you, but they can be incredibly, incredibly imaginative of ways to symbolically kill you in these, in these journeys. Yes, absolutely. And the, the imaginativeness of it is all intertwined with just the fact that spirit communicates in symbolism. Like that's the universal language is symbolism and whatever inventive outrageous way they might come through to work with you is directly related to a medicine that you might need specifically for you that's going to resonate the the best for you so absolutely you know within our within our courses actually we have a segment where over 4 weeks you are you and your ego are destroyed by your guides um through the four elements right earth air fire and water and it's Mm -hmm. it's working on different aspects of yourself as you go so i mean yeah it's all about the symbolism as it uh, comes through so amber when you are giving a reiki session and you want to do soul retrieval how does that go like are you actually doing soul retrieval within the reiki session yes i do start by just channeling the Reiki and getting the person very relaxed. So it typically in my Reiki sessions, I work quietly, I don't talk. But when we're going to do soul retrieval, I will do a guided meditation with my voice to um, kind of help to engage their imagination. And I so I'm actually in a mentorship right now learning how to guide people through their own soul retrievals. So traditionally, the shaman would do the whole soul retrieval and the client wouldn't have any idea what happened. And the shaman would just bring the soul part back and blow it into the person's body. But what I'm learning is um, there's not an official name for the modality yet they're kind of unofficially calling it spiritual psychology right now but it's still kind of new but um we're working on having people be fully present and aware and involved with the whole process themselves so it's very empowering so um yes the way i do it is i start by channeling the reiki and i'll take the person through a guided meditation to help really ground them and get their energy and spirit comfortable um, and have their conscious awareness be feeling really safe and will actually give verbal cues to let the conscious awareness and the rational mind know that it is safe to step back and give the intuition and imagination room to be curious and explore and that the rational mind and the conscious awareness will be present the whole time and uh, will be able to make sense of it later. So nothing that happens within the context of the soul retrieval has to make sense so that we can really open up the imagination. And then 
uh, again, it's body-centered awareness or body, body-centered mindfulness. That's the, the avenue we kind of get into the soul retrieval through. So we'll start to then, whatever the client's issue is, I'll ask them, where do you feel it in your body? And we'll find the area of the body where they're feeling the most prominent sensation or pain. And then we'll start asking questions of that pain and have the client give it a shape or a color or a texture. It's kind of start to make that pain into a tangible form that we can work with. And once we turn it into a tangible form, we'll then start, we'll find out how old it is. How old is that pain? And usually that will then take us to a soul part that has been fragmented and stuck in a psychological and historical time in the past. And we'll then find out if the soul part is stuck in a certain scene we'll have them describe the scene and then the client and me and the, all the guides and teachers that are there helping we will all travel into that scene together and we'll make the soul part aware of our presence and then we will ask if that soul part is willing to come with us to a place in nature a sacred place that the client um, is connected to. So that's another aspect that we will sometimes establish a sacred place in nature before we go into the soul retrieval. And then we'll take the soul part there and we'll start asking it more questions while we're in this sacred safe place. And eventually we'll ask the soul part if it wants to come back into present time with the client or if it wants to stay in that place in nature. And either way, the client has access to the soul part. Either way, it doesn't really matter if they come back or not. But if they choose to stay in the place of, in nature, sometimes we'll do multiple sessions and we'll go back and check on them. And I'll also teach the client how to communicate with them and check on them on their own time too. So they don't have to have me there every time. But they'll find that if the... If the soul part is not ready to come into the body and be in present time with the client, that every time we go back and check on it, that soul part is different every time we go back and they, they've changed. Maybe they've grown up in age. Maybe they feel, you know, like just healthier until eventually they can hug that soul part back into their body and begin to feel vitalized and more whole because essentially that soul part is holding a piece of the client's vital essence. And so that's why in shamanic philosophy or in the shamanic paradigm, you know, it's said that these soul parts that get stuck in psychological and historical time are, they're still attached to us, but they're just stuck in the past. And so it's, it can influence us in present time to feel chronic mood disorders like depression, anxiety, um, or have just like chronic anger, or it can influence disease and disorder in the body. And so the concept is that when we can welcome those fragments of our vital essence back into the body in present time, we uh, start to feel better. We don't feel so inclined toward depression or anxiety or chronic anger or the disease and disorder in the body begins to heal and improve. Um, and sometimes it'll take many sessions, you know, it's not like just a one-time thing and you're all better, but um, it, it, it can have extremely profound, tangible effects every time you do it. Um, it's really amazing work. I really love that system. That is a excellent methodology for doing it. Yeah. I especially like the use of basically a waiting room in nature yes. and for more severe soul loss absolutely that is useful because it can take time to reintegrate and as you're saying right when you go back and visit that soul part it is going to be a little different every time because it is slowly integrating in many ways at least that's 
what I would, that what I have found. Yeah. And, and so if it's slowly integrating, like if you have massive soul loss from a massive trauma or something, absolutely. That type of waiting area is very useful for sure. Yeah. It's crucial because a lot of time when you first encounter the soul part that's been stuck in the past, it's stuck in a traumatic moment. And so we, a lot of times we'll go back and that soul part either won't recognize the client at first or they won't trust the client, you know, because they're like, you left me back here. And there's this um, trust that needs to be reestablished. And when we can take them out of that moment in psychological and historical time that was traumatic and bring them to a place, usually a place in nature that is sacred and safe and, you know, letting them know that nobody can come there without their permission. They never have to go back to that traumatic place in the past because it actually doesn't even exist anymore. Um, Then yeah, it gives them the space to be able to start softening up and heal. And we also, a lot of times we'll spend some time showing the soul part, how the person has grown and all the things that they've done in their life Um, And that they're actually not in that traumatic moment anymore, that they've grown out of it and that this soul part can come back with them and experience all of these joys of living that they have been deprived of all this time. Absolutely. Right. uh, You definitely have to make that piece of soul feel safe and, and also make them realize, okay, we're not in the same situation that we were back then. Yeah. And of course, that requires that the person is no longer in that situation, right? Yeah. If they are in a, you know, some toxic situation that is causing soul loss, <laughs> that piece of soul isn't going to be there for long, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's when it's like, if the person I'm working, honestly, though, usually when a person comes to me for healing work and Reiki and stuff, they're no longer in the toxic or abusive situations that they once were sometimes they'll come to me still in it but that's when we just do reiki Uh, then i'll spend some time just doing reiki just helping their soul feel soothed and kind of help to clear all of the uh like uh, belief systems or judgments from others or just the energy of being in perpetual low-key trauma all the time, we just kind of start to clear that. And almost always that will then um, bring opportunities for the client to begin moving themselves out of an abusive or harmful situation. And then we'll go into the soul retrieval. So the soul retrieval, yeah, it will come after the only when the client's ready nothing happens in a reiki session or a shamanic journey that the client isn't ready for in some way you have a absolutely beautiful practice there i I always love how shamanism can be mixed with reiki so well i know it's 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 really awesome it's a beautiful pairing for sure Mm -hmm. so shifting gears a little bit uh, you have had some paranormal and spiritual experiences that uh, you've had over the years and that uh, you'd like to share. Yeah. Um, so one of them happened when you were leaving a crystal and gem show. Uh, can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I was visiting Tucson, Arizona for the yearly crystal and gem show that happens there. And it was actually on my first night there. Um, I was with a friend of mine and it was about 1.30 in the morning and we were walking home back to the place that we were staying. And the it was kind of a neighborhood street, but there was this one bar on the street and they had a big, giant, bright, illuminated sign that hung over the front door. And so that was kind of like the only thing illuminating these few blocks that were ahead of us we turned the corner onto this block and my friend kind of squeezed my hand and she said don't freak out but there's a man in a cape walking toward us right now and i looked up and there was this man 
walking down the middle of the street toward us. And he was about a block ahead and he was walking toward us. And I mean, my stomach flipped because it, it looked like a human being. There was no indication that this was an apparition yet because he looked very solid and he was wearing this black hooded cape and he had the hood up over his head and he was kind of looking down so I could not see a face, but I could see his full form. I could see his shoes. I could see the cape swaying with his movements and he was taking this very slow, heavy pace with like heavy footsteps and he was just slowly walking toward us. And the moment that I noticed him, he started walking diagonally, like he was about to get up onto the sidewalk with us. And right at that moment, we were walking past a bunch of cars that were parked with their, like they were parked up against the sidewalk. And he, he started walking toward us and went in between two cars and I expected to see him pop up on the sidewalk. And at this point, I fully thought that this was just a creepy human being that was being scary in the middle of the night and like wanted to either scare us or abduct us or something like that. So my heart was racing and he did not end up coming up onto the sidewalk. So I assumed that he was hiding in between these two cars and was going to jump out at us or do something creepy when we walked by. So my friend and I were like locked arms, like feeling really scared as we were coming up to where we thought he was hiding. And we got there and he wasn't there. And then I looked up again and there he was again in the middle of the sidewalks, now several feet even further up the street where it was like, okay, it's absolutely impossible for him to have made this journey. And he was now walking away from us. So he was walking toward this bar that had the big illuminated sign outside. And by the way, I, I researched this later and I found out that the bar is the oldest bar still functioning in Tucson. It, it existed back when there was just trains and stuff going through that neighborhood. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. But so at that point, I knew it wasn't a human being and that I was looking at something paranormal. And I became just, I was fixated because I was like, this was the first time I'd ever seen an apparition with my own two eyes. And the fact that my friend was seeing it too was just blowing my mind a little. So I wasn't, I wasn't scared anymore once I realized he wasn't a human. And I was watching him walk away from us and walking toward this bar. And he, started again walking diagonally toward the sidewalk and he was walking directly to the entrance of this bar and he walked right up to the front door and so at that point he was standing directly under the bright light of their sign that was above the door and I noticed he was like nine feet tall he was so tall that the top of his head was way above the top of the door and he was almost like right underneath the sign, like his, his head was almost touching the sign. And when he got to the front door, he, I always say it was kind of like he glitched out, like he paused mid step. And I was watching where his, his feet were kind of like swaying up and down, like he was stuck mid step, and he didn't actually move into the door frame. So he was like swaying back and forth. And then my friend said something. And so I looked over at her and then looked back and he was disappeared and he was gone. And I didn't see him again. And we walked over to the bar and actually went inside the bar. And the bar was very, very tiny. Like there was nowhere he could have slipped in, even if he was real. But I know that he wasn't, well, he was real, but he wasn't in physical form. And even while he was like glitched out and paused in front of the door frame two people actually walked out of the bar and stood right outside the door and were just like talking. They walked right by him, did not even look up, did not see him. It was like very obvious that because I, I would assume that if you walk out a door and there's a nine foot tall man in a black hooded cloak standing there that you would react in some way <laughs> and they didn't react at all. So it was, they didn't see him. Um, unfortunately, at that time, I was 
kind of in shock, honestly, and like a little too shy to ask the bartenders if anything ever happened in there. And they also had CCTV, like they had a bunch of cameras all around the outside and the inside, and they had TVs up behind the bar where you could see. And I wish so bad that I would have asked them, can you rewind it to just a couple of minutes before and see if that entity showed up on the video? But I didn't ask. Um, but yeah, it was it was really interesting because after that happened, the whole rest of my time in Tucson, I was kind of obsessed with this event that had happened. I couldn't stop talking about it. I called a couple of my friends back in Chicago to tell them about it. And my friend who I was with at the time actually just didn't want to have anything to do with it. She didn't want to talk about it. She was kind of like in in a sort of denial about it. And she was not excited about it. And I, I will never know if these two things are related or not. But after we got back from Tucson, our friendship started deteriorating. And it actually completely devolved to the point where we were like, basically enemies by the end of our relationship. And also, that was the beginning point of a major spiral into a depression and then coming out of it realizing that I need that I needed to like reconnect with my own spiritual practice and a whole bunch of stuff changed it was another one of those kind of times of turmoil and chaos that come on from doing spiritual work where a bunch of stuff that wasn't serving my highest potentials just fell away and were taken away from me. And since then, I have received a lot of visions and information related to these cloaked beings and like these beings that wear these hooded cloaks, especially the mantis beings, um, if you're familiar with that at all. But um, they have come to me. I have a specific guide who looks a lot like that and wears this hooded cloak now. And I just have always had this sense that me seeing that entity that day was um, some kind of a, an initiation into another phase of my spiritual practice. It often happens that way where a paranormal experience is absolutely an initiation event. Okay. And absolutely, there's the possibility it has nothing to do with that bar and everything to do with the fact that you and your friend were walking by that night. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, did very you, interesting. Did you buy any cool crystals at the crystal? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I bought way too many crystals at that at gem show. It was, I, I, it, fleshed out my collection majorly i i could barely carry my suitcase home because it was so full of stuff <laughs> and were you carrying a lot of these crystals while you saw this i was not that was actually okay. it was the first night we were there so i hadn't even gone to the okay. um gem show at that point yet interesting yeah interesting well it it certainly sounds like it might have been like a a grim reaper for a relationship and maybe for yeah. For a part of your life, really, right? Yes, because yeah, you would you would think that if you step out of a bar and there is a nine foot tall hooded hooded person, even if it's a seven foot tall hooded person, yeah. you would think that you would notice. And I know. Even even if you saw them inside, you'd probably look at them. <laughs> you know, so. No doubt. I mean, they were standing out like there. I've I've never seen in my whole life. A person walking around looking like that. I mean, they were, yeah, if if they were in physical form for all to see, they would have drawn attention to themselves. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. Well, I mean, that that is a certainly an interesting experience. And mm -hmm. it's it's illustrative of the fact that sometimes these things happen right before major life changes. Yes. That a lot of the time, a paranormal event can be more about what's happening in your life and the, the experiencer's life rather than what's happening in that area, right? Yes. So that's, that's curious. Yes, well, very curious. 
and so then we you have a another family history there where your father caught a voice on camera. Can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah. I love telling this story. So I wasn't actually present for this, but my dad, this happened in 2001. And this was when I was still living in Oregon, where I grew up. Um, and so in Oregon, there is this building called the Hot Lake Hotel. And it, it has been featured on a couple of like, paranormal site type of TV shows. I think one of them is called The Most Haunted Places in America. They featured it there. Um, and it's an old hot springs hotel. It used to be a hot springs resort. And it stood abandoned in the desert of Oregon for a really, really long time. But it had a lot of um, paranormal lore associated with it. And my dad just for whatever reason, became kind of obsessed with this place for a while. And he decided to take my two younger brothers and his girlfriend at the time. And they traveled to, it's in La Grande, Oregon, is where this place is located, which is about six hours east of Portland, Oregon, where we lived. So they got a motel for the weekend and, you know, they, they trespassed through this abandoned building for the whole weekend. And they went, at multiple times of day. And my dad brought a camcorder with him and he recorded the whole thing. He recorded every time they went in. And they had several personal paranormal experiences of just seeing doors open and close, hearing footsteps all over the building, even though they knew they were in there alone. Um, a lot of, there was a lot of old medical equipment and old furniture that was just left in there the place was full of stuff and a lot of times they would like go into a room and come out and all the stuff that was in the hallway was like in different places like everything had moved around they lots of stuff like that happened to them but they didn't catch anything on camera except for this one incident which is one of the clearest evps i've ever heard in my life and i love paranormal stories. So I'm constantly consuming people's paranormal stories on YouTube and different TV shows and stuff and have heard a lot of EVPs. And this one is just wild. And hopefully I'll be able to get it for you so you can splice it into the episode. Um, but what happened was it was in the middle of the afternoon. And they're walking down a hallway. And my dad is filming in the back of the line. And so my two brothers and his girlfriend are walking in front of him. And his girlfriend leans her head into a room. And she says, Hey, look at that old phone. And then a voice comes on through the camcorder, and they did not hear it in present time. They only heard it after they played the tape back later. But it's crystal clear. And it sounds like a human being talking right into the microphone of the camcorder. And she says, talk, talk to me. So it's like she's making the sound of the like of an old phone ringing. And it was she was directly responding to the fact that they were looking at this old phone. I always wonder what would have happened if they had like picked up the receiver of that phone in that moment, because it really seemed like whatever whoever the spirit was, was like, Ooh, I can communicate to you right now. Like, pick up that phone. I want to say something. But yeah, it's very crystal clear. There's no denying what it says. You know, a lot of times EVPs can be kind of muffled, and this is crystal clear, really amazing piece of evidence. Fantastic. And if you're able to get your hands on it, we will have it play right now. So if you're listening to this track, it is about to play. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's really fascinating 
when EVPs happen. Yeah. They are just a really interesting part of the paranormal phenomena. And a number of experiences I've had show that, you know, the paranormal, that spirits absolutely can play with electricity and yeah. they can play with electrical devices. So it's not surprising to me that they can somehow, I don't know how, but they can somehow get voices onto, you know, onto a magnetic tape or onto a digital mm-hmm. camera, anything like this, right? So yeah. it's really fascinating. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so our next stop is some shamanic journeying that you did that led to some really interesting synchronicities. Yeah. Tell us about those. Yeah, I have a couple of fun stories with that. So the first one I'll tell happened in the beginning of my studies with shamanic journeying. I had just started working with a shaman and he was teaching me how to do journeys and I had just met my animal guide like my spirit animal or um well I like to call them animal guides because I'm not an indigenous person but um this is a animal guide who is with me all the time she had always been with me but I had just met her and I had had this really powerful profound vision during a shamanic journey where she emerged from the darkness And she told me her name. And when she told me her name, in the moment when I was having the vision, it sounded like gibberish to me. It was a word I had never heard before. And when I came out of it, I Googled the word. And it turns out that it is, uh, it was a common name in ancient Egypt that they typically gave to princesses. So um, that was really interesting and totally blew my mind. And So a couple weeks after that happened, I was getting into a shared Uber. So there was already someone else in the car. And I got into the car and I noticed that she was wearing this outfit that I used to wear all the time. It was like exactly an outfit that I used to have like maybe 10 years before or something. And I commented this to her. I was like, oh, that's so weird. I used to have that same outfit. and. So we started chatting and she mentioned that she had just moved to Chicago from Portland, Oregon, which is where I had grown up. So that already was like, oh, that's so weird. She's wearing this outfit I used to wear all the time. And she's come from my hometown into the city I live in now. And she was telling me that she had just started a business with a friend of hers and it was a a yoga studio that she had just opened and she pulled it up on her Instagram to show it to me. And I saw that the name of their yoga studio was the name of my animal guide, which was a name I had never heard before. I had never seen that word out in ordinary reality. And it just completely blew my mind. It was like, there was no doubt in that moment that this was some kind of a synchronistic communication validation from the spirit world. So that was pretty cool. Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to call those types of events confirmation events because yes. they just confirm that what is happening is real, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, your journey wasn't, it's not like one caused the other, right? It's not like your journey or it's not like your journey was about meeting this woman or something. It mm-hmm. was, it's more like, okay, there's going to be a name and we're going to have it pop up in this way. And you're going to realize this world is far stranger and more magical than you ever thought. And by the way, all the shamanic stuff is real, right? Yes. In fact, shamanic journeying, I think, especially needs confirmation events because early on you can start thinking, is this just my imagination? Right? Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. And so those confirmation events, they anchor it into the physical world, right? Yes. And so you had another example of a confirmation event with, uh, yeah. with some ants, right? Yes, with some that. ants. This one just happened a couple of months ago because back when I was first learning shamanic tools, it was a very intense time in my life back then. It was also around the same time that I had just started learning Reiki and there was a lot of upheaval in my life. And 
at that point, I had never even taken hallucinogens or anything like I had never had an, a hallucinatory experience. And I was every time I journeyed with this shaman or by myself, I was having these wild experiences. And it, it was scaring me, actually, I was like feeling scared and overwhelmed. And I quit my training, like I kind of just dropped it. And spirit was very clear that eventually I would come back to this training and finish it. And that, you know, I would just know when the te when the teacher arrived, I would know it, you know, so I was always just open and waiting. And this year, I finally reconnected with another shamanic teacher. So I'm back in that whole world again, dived into it. And this was maybe a month after I started working with her. I was doing a journey on my own. And in this journey, an ant came to me and the ant took me down into its colony. It was showing me around, telling me how the colony worked and what all of their different roles are. And it was this really delightful interaction where this ant was just literally felt like it was just delighted to be showing me around. It was this really wonderful experience. And I came out of the journey and had to go to work. So I went to my healing studio to go work on some clients. And when I got there, I was just cleaning the room and sweeping. And I looked down at the pile of dust after I had swept the room. And it looked like the dust was moving. And I was like, that's weird. And I looked up closer. And there's a bunch of ants crawling around in the dust. And of course, at first, I was like, Oh, no, my studio is infested with ants. And I started looking around to see where they're coming from. And it's like, Oh, they're not coming from anywhere. And, you know, I, I felt terrible, but they were already in the dust pile. So I was like, I, I have to like sweep you out. And I, I threw them out. And I kept my eye open that whole rest of the day and never saw I have not seen ants in there ever since that one moment. It was just very obvious that that was a crossover event of the ants showing me that, again, there's more to this world than meets the eye. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And circling back there a bit, you were saying that you initially left your shamanic training because your your visions were too vivid right and yeah. and just for the listener um shamanic journeying right it's when you enter trance and you send your your consciousness over and of course there's many ways in but i imagine what you were using was just listening to a drum track right listening to a drum yes i was just listening to a drum mm -hmm. it's so amazing that we can get such kinds of experiences from from just listening to a drum i know especially yeah, I vivid enough experiences that they they scare you off because they're too vivid yeah it's really amazing and intense and i mean it truly if you start practicing this type of stuff it has the power to just almost instantly expand your mind and open up your worldview to things that you once thought to be impossible in the physical world because there's just no denying when you have these subjective experiences that it's it's something more than just pretend or making it up there's there is an intelligence that is interacting with you and um yeah and the the drum i i always describe it as it's like well, because, you know, sound, everything is vibration. And so sound almost just like cuts through all of the noise that we accumulate just from the physical world, the densities of being in the physical world. It'll just kind of distract the rational mind and creates a fabric that we can journey on that's how i always see it is kind of like the sound creates a tapestry on which we can travel i love that absolutely yeah. even the uh, shamans of old right they used to talk about how the drum became the world tree right that could, mm -hmm. kick to, that could connect you to the upper world and the lower world so yeah absolutely well amber we're coming up on time here um this has been an absolutely delightful conversation. Yes. Is there any words of wisdom that you'd like to leave the listenership with? I would say 
be open to your experiences in life without judgment and know that you can trust the unknown. You can be curious about the great mystery of life and that even experiences with the paranormal or the spirit world or the unseen world that might seem kind of scary for instance like me seeing this hooded cloaked figure that was very like occult looking the the spirit world when it comes to communicate with you in such a way as a paranormal experience or a psychic vision or anything like that there is uh it's a mechanism to lead you toward healing and growth and um the the more you can open up to these things without judgment and without fear and instead having kind of a childlike curiosity um the more you're going to learn about yourself and you will be amazed at the incredibly profound opportunities that will come your way when you start to kind of follow these things instead of trying to make logical sense of them or controlling the outcome or you know whatever you might feel compelled to try to to grasp an understanding with and instead just kind of being open and curious and and having fun with it and that you don't have to be afraid because even if you don't know your spirit guides right now even if you don't know animal guides they're with you they're absolutely with you your higher self is with you that you know little whisper of a intuitive voice it, that is the whisper of of your guides and your higher self and you're never doing any of this alone absolutely magical and so true that really sums it up thank you so much amber and amber where can people find you online where can they find your services and what are your social medias yeah my my website is prismatichealing.com so p-r-i-s-m-a-t-i-c healing prismatichealing.com and so you can book with me online and read all about what i do on my website and then I also have an Instagram that I'm pretty active on, which is the Amber Oracle. So it's T H E dot A M B E R dot O R A C L E, the Amber Oracle. Um, and you can find a link to that through my website as well. Fantastic. And I'll have all that down in the show notes as well. Amber, thank you so much for joining me today. We've had just a great conversation about shamanic healing and Reiki. And uh, this has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you too. I really enjoyed it. It was awesome.